This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here's your host, Brian Harding. Hey now, and good day. Thanks for stopping by to check out our podcast. Don't be afraid to tell a friend or a coworker or a family member, and uh, don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review all that good podcasty kind of stuff. Uh, don't forget you can also reach me at uh, growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. Links to all the platforms for listening to our podcast can be found there, and you can always shoot me an email at brian at brianlharding.com. Today we're super lucky to have on Tony Roberts, general manager of the Tacoma Stars. Welcome, Tony. Thank you. Uh, as Tacoma Stars Senior Vice President of Business Operations, Tony will be beginning his third season at the team's front office, at the team's front office when the 2019-2020 Major Arena Soccer League uh, season kicks off in November. Uh, Tony has brought a proven track record of sales and development to the Stars in many levels of sports as well as other industries. You can reach them at TacomaStars.com. And Tony, you've had what I would call a pretty fun career path from the outside looking in anyway. That's a good way to look at it. So you've uh, you've been the uh, um, general manager of the Grove in Anaheim, where you generated $2.4 million in private event sales. You were the owner and director of sales and operations for Events Live, where you managed sponsorship marketing rights for the Hard Rock Live in Las Vegas. And you sold over $800,000 in sponsorships for Hard Rock, Ride, for the Hard Rock, Rock Live Arena. It's a mouthful. Uh, yeah. Uh, you were the director of partnerships for Agrilicious.com and Comp Blue, where you completed the acquisition of over $2 million in private equity funding. We'll get into that a little bit. You were the logistics assistant for FIFA, um, and you got to work on the uh, um, coordinating the gold medal ceremonies at the Rose Bowl for the 1999 Women's, Cup, uh, Women's World Cup. That sounds kind of cool. We'll get into that a little bit. Corporate sales manager for Long Beach Ice Dogs. Is that a hockey team? That is a hockey team. Yeah, that's in California? Yep, they're no okay. longer there. They're actually okay. in Ontario, California. Gotcha. Now. Are, they, are they still the Ice Dogs? They are not the Ice Dogs. <laughs> they are the Ontario Reign. That's an awesome. I love the Ice Dogs. Yeah. That's a fantastic name. It's uh, a great brand. And you generated $130,000 in sponsorship sales in the first season there. Director of ticket and souvenirs for Tacoma Rockets. Corporate and group sales manager for the Portland Winterhawks. And uh, we'll get into all this kind of stuff. So... Um, from the outside looking in, you would think that Tacoma Stars is like a huge business organ, you know, biggest big big business entity, but really it's still a small business at heart, right? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously it falls into that category of a small business with the, with the amount of money that we generate in revenue per year. So, right, definitely right, right. a small business. Gotcha. Um, what's your total team uh, like in the office and operations and stuff like that? Nine or something like that, right? No, no, it's actually really small. We currently have uh, myself and two other full time people. Okay, gotcha. So, so yeah, definitely a bunch of probably about ten to twenty part time people. As gotcha well during the season. Definitely a small business then. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so that'll be right up our alley here. Um, and you've had a ton of experience in sales. You've sold individual and corporate tickets to events. You've sold souvenirs, sponsorships, and special events. Um, that's been the bulk of your career, right? Yeah. Right. Pretty much. Okay. So if you've had, obviously, success in these things to keep getting the next next gig, <laughs> um, what is your approach to sales? I mean, why, why have you had so much success with this? What's, what's your approach that you believe has led you to success? You know, in 1991, when I took the job with the Tacoma Rockets, um, I was handed a book called Selling the Last Seat in the House. And it was written by a guy named John Spolstra. And name sounds familiar. His son is now the uh, head basketball coach for the Miami Heat okay. and the NBA. And it's funny, he mentions his son in the book as a young child, and now he's the, uh, the head coach of the Miami Heat. Uh, but the, the procedures of that book, or the policies kind of, and the, the goals and objectives of that book is, is something that I've carried with me um, throughout my career. And, and basically, it's, it's kind of like that two-to-one you know, two philosophy or that four-to-one philosophy of, um, you know, if you're spending those advertising dollars in a certain area, that you want to see a you know, two-to-four return on that, ratio-wise. Right. So, so measuring results, it sounds like, is a big deal then. Yeah. So definitely results-driven. And in that book, too, it's just different sales techniques of um, how you approach the customer. Um, one of them was like, you know, this is back when I was a hockey team, but uh, we would send little autograph hockey pucks and I would have them ship to the potential person who I was trying to sell a sponsorship to. Nice. So stuff like that, just kind of warm people up, 
those and then just it's just the grind you know um typically our salespeople sell call about 70 people a day wow you know so that's kind of the norm in the industry right so now. so they call 70 how many do they sell 70 probably getting live to seven to ten so 10 percent, 15 percent, somewhere in there well that's getting Live oh, voice. getting getting voices yeah, on. Okay, live voice now on. I got you. So yeah. we haven't we haven't closed the deal yet. We no, just got a live person. No, we're just you know, dialing for dollars. You get about seven to ten people, and out of that, the goal is obviously to get three appointments. Okay, to close one. So seventy so, appointments to get seven to ten people on the phone to get three appointments. That's kind of the math on that. To close one. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So is there a, a particular sales style that you, once you have the people on the phone or once you have the people, you know, like corporate events, I'm guessing those are more maybe one-on-one kind of in-person kind of conversations. Is there a particular technique that you found really useful? Well, especially with the stars, we're still, you know, brand new team. This is our, you know, the four seasons. We've just completed our four seasons, so we're going into our fifth. This will be the third year with the team for me. So we're still getting people understanding who we are. Right. So we're still, you know, that messaging of who we are and, you know, a lot of people like, or they remember us back from the eighties and the nineties and when we played in the Tacoma Dome, but now, um, you know, we play at the Cecil Showwire Center in Kent and people are getting re-familiar. So they do remember the brand, which right. is great. So right. we know that our brand's solid and the logo's solid and, the, and people remember that. Um, but it's just re-educating them on the sport and who we are. And sure. So there's a bit of a process there. That's probably the biggest choke point that we have right now. So when you're selling entertainment and you're selling tickets to a team, a sports team, how much of the sales is reliant on the the product, meaning how well the team does, mm-hmm. versus how much of it is, is about the experience of going to the game and getting your family there and buying hot dogs and all that kind sure. of stuff? I um, definitely would say that the experience is probably more of that, especially in a minor league sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I always give the example of the Tacoma Rainiers. Um, typically, when I go to Tacoma Rainiers game, it's all about the experience. Right. I mean, I'll, you know, I'm a baseball fan, but I'll watch a few, couple bats here and there. But really, it's about, you know, being with your friends. I, you know, we've been to games yeah. before together. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, just that social uh, experience as right. well with the entertainment value of it and also the sports part of it as well. Right, right. And I think that's one of the things that small business people in general get um, kind of misled on is they think it's all about the product and they forget that it's really all about the experience. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're you know, going to a, a baseball game like you're referencing mm-hmm. or if you're buying a new roof for your house or you're buying a new car um, the product is the product and the product's going to do what the product does, but the experience is what gets people to come back. Yeah. If they have a positive experience, again, if you're buying a roof, um, you're only going to do that every 30 years, unless you're buying a couple, you know, a house every couple of years and doing that, which is unlikely, but you would be less likely to refer somebody out based on if a poor experience rather than the poor roof. I mean, sure. the roof is going to do what the roof is going to do. Yeah. And not to say the product's not part of it. Definitely. Sure. You'll see increased ticket sales when the team's winning. Right. Um, we signed, uh, Lamar Nagel last year toward the end of the season. Lamar's, uh, probably the fourth leading gold scorer of the Seattle Sanders history. Okay. Federal way, born in federal way. Um, so he's a local guy and he definitely, when we signed him, we saw increased ticket sales. Sure. That. So gotcha. Yeah. So you talked about building a brand, um, and you're you're dealing with now you specifically in your situation are dealing with a, a, a brand that's kind of reemerging after four decades, three decades of being so in the, hiatus. Yeah. So the Tacoma Stars started in 1983, mm-hmm. uh, played in the Tacoma Dome until 1992. Okay. So so a little less than 20 years that they've been kind of gone. Yeah. And now they're coming back. So you're you're kind of dealing with something that was existing already. You're not completely starting from scratch, but you're you're kind of starting from scratch in, in that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing for 20 years. So what is your approach when it comes to brand building? We hear about people building, building brands all the time. And, and uh, that's certainly an important part of any business. What, what's your kind of overall philosophy kind of take us, you know, hundred thousand foot level and then kind of drill us down into how you, how you look at this. As far as like with just with social media. Or yeah. I mean, what, I mean, social media is a thing now and it wasn't in 1992. So yeah. that's certainly a big, big part of things now. And, yeah. And it's funny in 1992, I mean, you basically had, you know, TV, radio, New- newspapers, and print. <laughs> yeah. Everybody read the newspaper. Right. So if you wanted to get your message out right. and build your brand, obviously newspaper was the way to go. 
you know, now there's probably, you know, 15 different pillars of, you know, different social media and, you know, still the radio and TV and um, everything is is definitely um, still viable. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, this year, building our brand, we decided to do some television advertising with the Seattle Sounders. Right. So we were on their pregame and postgame shows, and we saw a significant increase in ticket sales from those. So you're piggybacking off of somebody else who's already got a, a massive brand. Yep. You know, I mean, Seattle's um, professional soccer team is, you know, they're they're pretty big. Yeah. So you're piggybacking off of somebody who's already having success and kind of a similar thing. Um, are, you, are you guys kind of like a AAA for them? Is that kind of how it works? No, not at all. Uh, most of our players have either played in the highest professional ranks and now we're coming back down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so also their, we, their career's kind of peaked, and now they're kind of coming. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Lamar's perfect example. Played ten years in the league, um, you know, at the highest levels, and now's now he's retiring from that. Uh, right. Still gets an opportunity to play. Right. Start a new career at the same time. Sure. So it, it kind of allows for both of those. So, gotcha. For example, he is now a soccer coach at the Federal Way Football Club. Okay. So he's, you know, Premier League um, youth teams that he is coaching and then Right. So you so you did the the before and after things with the Sounders and that you saw a spike in sales there. Um, what other kind of things have you guys tried and seen work and what other kind of things have you guys tried and seen not so much? Um, well definitely the brand itself is still solid from the from eighties to the nineties. Yep. So that that's helped. Um you know, just advertising, um, very good. Um, I'm blessed to have a great graphics department mm-hmm. uh, that allows us to build the, the brand and, and the, um, you know, just just the um, overall theme of what we're trying to do and that experience and educating the, the people on our team. Right. So, and one of in your your product, again, you're selling an experience. You yeah. can't you can't draw a picture of that so easily. <laughs> <laughs> you know that and that's just so difficult it's right. and that's one of my challenges is, is um you know like with even photographers that we have on staff is how do you capture that experience in one photograph right yeah. what what is your what is your thoughts on how long it will take to become just we're, we're you know we're 30 percent of people in tacoma for instance would know what the tacoma stars are or or what, what kind of benchmarks do you set up to figure out what success looks like in this you arena? know that's probably what it is right now so each year we continue to grow. Right. So I'm, I'm on a four to five year plan on that. Okay. Um, the beautiful thing is soccer is growing, obviously. Continue sure. to grow in the United States. You know, the women's is even starting to kick off and doing real well. Right. In fact, the Seattle Rain has sold out Cheney Stadium now for the rest of the season. Nice. So th- their brand is definitely growing and, and uh, women's soccer is growing. Um, you know, indoor took a dive for a while there after 92 when the Tacoma Stars folded when they played in the Tacoma Dome. Right. And outdoor came back in. So four years later, there was an outdoor league. Um, four years after that, the Seattle Sounders reemerged in Seattle and have just exploded onto the scene. I mean, they're, they're probably the perfect, uh, perfect storm of a sports franchise. Right. And, you know, uh, in Seattle, everything worked out really well for them. Um, so the Sonics had left the year before, right? So you've got uh, extra dollar, yeah, yeah. extra dollars in the market that uh, yeah. not only for sponsorships but for the fan base as well. Sure, sure. And the um, they partnered up with the Seattle Seahawks for the first five years, right? And so the people you partnered up with built their success on partnering up with somebody else. So yeah. it sounds like in brand building, partnering with people is a pretty pretty uh, successful path to take. Yeah. Yeah, yep, well, that's, absolutely. That's good. That's good. That's good for people uh, listening. Um, I'm going to completely shift gears now. Uh, one of the things I mentioned in reading kind of, or going through kind of your career is you were involved in a process where you acquired two million dollars in private capital funding. I don't know the first thing about this, so I'm, I'm I'm really excited to hear about what this whole process is like. So, what is the process? How do you ask? What, what do investors get? What don't get? What don't they get? I got a million questions on this. So, take us through kind of the scenario. What what led to this? Why were you looking for two million dollars? On the capital funding for yep. the startup, uh-huh. for basically for startup purposes. So there was two two situations. One was the the website, which was called Eggerlicious, that uh, was basically everything. It was it was working off of the buy local, buy organic. Gotcha. Theme. Okay. Um, so how did you figure out that two million was the right number? So my, I, and I'm wondering is 
does, did the two million dollars include salaries? Did it include um, no, overhead, just, or it, is it, it, yeah, was it was just nuts and bolts? Uh, you need a website. You needed a facility. You needed that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and then the other one was Comp Blue. Uh, Comp Blue was a uh, workers' compensation insurance company. Okay, and um, they were just raising capital for um, for policies and be able to write premiums toward that. Gotcha. So the more more money that was capitalized, well, they were able to write more policies toward. Un- understood. Okay. Yeah, and the process was simply kind of like you're uh, uh, not as bad. I don't think there was as much drinking or drugs, but it was a lot like Wolf on Wall Street. Have okay. you ever saw that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, you know, those boiler room type phone rooms where um, we would have a um, predictive dialer. Okay. Are you familiar with that? Uh-huh. So we had a predictive dialer that it was a, basically a computer that would dial the phone numbers. So the... The operator would just simply wait to hear. And then hear the cue that they were connected and, and then they, they were on. Yeah, and then their pitch. So um, that's how we did. So um, this wasn't this wasn't like you went to a place where you knew that there was people who had lots of money. You were calling people, asking for $1,000 or $5,000 or whatever. Yeah, okay. 10, 15, 20, 50,000. Gotcha. Um, you know, we would after we would meet with them personally as well. But right. um, it was basically a list of accredited investors. People okay. that had net worth over a million dollars. Gotcha. So in those situations, um, they're just buying stock, basically. Then it's kind of like yeah. buying a penny stock. So they don't get have a private placement they, type. So they don't have an expectation of of have all they get is a piece of the profit if they if they're if they're success. Correct. They don't have an expectation of having a hand in operating things and that stuff like that. No, straight gotcha. investment. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how many? So how many investors did it take to get to two million dollars? Wow, that was quite a while. Um, I'm trying to think off yeah, the top of the, my head. I, if the average investor is putting in 10, 10 a, grand. a huge whiteboard on the wall, and I'm just trying to visualize the uh, number of people. Um, you know, it was probably close to 30 to 40. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a lot less than I expected. I would have expected you to say like 200 or something like that. But Yeah. Um, so that's cool. That's cool. So um, We had minimal offerings. Gotcha. So. Okay. Um, and did those companies do well? Do they not do well? How, how, did, how did they, what was their path like? Um, no, um, both of them actually did not succeed. So no. okay. there was uh, kind of a failure on that, but uh, things that were out of control, um, the engineering um, with the website was our oh, main. Oh, right, right, right. So they, the engineers built you a website and they didn't quite finish it and they just bailed. Dropped the keys on their desk and yeah, just walked out the door. Wow. Yeah. So, and, so you, and which for me, that's, you know, like so many like that, especially in t- today with technology. Right. That's how much power an a- actually an engineer has. Right. I mean, you, like, I know you said you do, you're not a plumber, right? Right. <laughs> but of all your, all your plumbers walked out. Yeah. You're in trouble. You're, yeah, yeah, we're, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the, so the engineer just abruptly one day comes in and says, I'm done. Sorry, this isn't finished and good luck to you and peace yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Wow. Okay. Um, so we're able to get other, inve- uh, but then you bring in a new engineer who has to almost reformat everything because right. And with engineers, especially in IT stuff, I've yet to meet a, a, a somebody who will take over a website, for instance, and just begin working with it. They always say, "I got to start from scratch. This yeah. thing is junk. It's not going to work in a million years. They did this wrong. They did this wrong. They did this wrong, and they have a list of." 50 things that are wrong and it's, it's just we're better just to scrap it and start over there's so much code that's written to all that it, yeah yeah that where a new guy is pretty much best off doing that gotcha um so just to clarify your role now so you're not involved in scouting and contracting the players you just run the office you run the sales pretty much more yep. or less and you you work out the lease agreements and all that kind of stuff for the facilities um you mentioned the two to four two to four to one ratio so expecting you get two to four times the return on every dollar you spend marketing, right? And, and staffing as and well. So this is overhead. So if you're if your total expenses are hundred thousand dollars, let's say, you need between two hundred and four hundred thousand dollars in revenue to pay the bills. Is that is that what kind of what you're saying? Overhead meaning payroll yep. and yep, everything. Advertising costs. Yep. Yep. So um and we talked a little bit last week when we had our CPA on uh, we talked a little bit about you know gross margins and stuff like that. So that would if you were two hundred thousand dollars in revenue and you had a hundred thousand dollars in expenses, that puts you at a fifty percent margin. Uh, for most businesses, you're you're doing pretty well in that in that yep. arena. You're looking for somewhere between uh, uh, two to four times expenses. Um, is four times expenses attainable? Is that a realistic goal? 
Occasionally. Occasionally. For, for, for a <laughs> you, month, once in a while. You know, that the, the spit wad that you throw up on the wall actually pays off. Yeah. And, uh, or the one that just falls to the ground. Um, I've seen it. We've, we've done it many times, or I have, and, um, um, but it is a rarity. Right. Yeah. Do you have any kind of, and I, I didn't prep you for this, so forgive me for just throwing <laughs> completely off the wall, but do you have any kind of uh, gut feeling on how, like, professional franchises do, like the Seahawks? Was or there any prepping? I thought we were just yeah, throwing this off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, like the, you know, Dallas Cowboys, are they are they four times expenses in revenue, do you think? Or, they, are they, or they, is that modest for them, or is that crazy to even dream that that would be achievable? What, what's I'm, your gut? Sh- I'm sure it is. I have, I honestly, I have no idea no about idea, the major yeah. sports. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that even like with the Sounders, I, they, how old are they? They're 10 years old now. They originally bought the team for $30 million. Right. And they're, or $35 million, and their estimated net worth right now is 350 So really with sports teams, you, that's where you see the evaluation gotcha. in the so team and not so much your It's kind of like sale. buying a house then. You're, 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 you're hoping to get in cheap and then wait it out and... And uh, in this case, get 10 times your investment back when you sell the thing. That's Typically, right. on, so, the, so on the bigger Drew, level. Drew Carey's going to do well when he sells the Sounders Drew, or whatever. Yeah, Drew's done well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good for him. He could, uh, uh, anyhow, I, so I, my, my, the reason I bring up the ratio thing that you mentioned is I, I think that's a good kind of mindset for anybody to have in any business is two times expenses in revenue uh, as, a, as a minimum goal I think is pretty good. Um, yeah, also, and that's gone back to the original book in 1991 that I read. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of the same practices today. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit about pricing also. So one of the things that people, um, their mindset on that is, okay, if I have $100,000 a month in expenses, I've got to hit, and i got to be at $200,000 in revenue. I just need to raise my prices. And that is not always productive. That can ov- sometimes cause more problem. And you had a, an experience when you came on to the stars where you actually lowered prices to increase revenue. So take us, take us through what that looked like. Yeah, I took over for another management group. And what I noticed and what I saw through the, the data that I was getting and the people that I, the customers that I were talking to is that we were overpriced. Gotcha. Um, our valuation was a little bit higher than what people were willing to pay. So w- what kind of research did you do to figure that out? Or uh, is it just your gut? A little bit of gut, but a lot of just talking to people, um, you know. Like uh, c- customers, like like people who came, or or people who you just bumped into who were in We've similar industries, or bumped into people. We've done some post game surveys, okay, um, to see, but mostly just talking with people on the phone, and you know, as we build relationships and and talk to people, I I sensed that that was the issue, okay. So we lowered the ticket prices last year and increased the revenue, um, about around eighty thousand dollars. Nice, yeah. So, so it, was a, it was kind of a hard approach because yeah. you go into the ownership it's a, it's group a big and gamble, go, yeah. we're going we're gonna to increase revenue by lowering ticket <laughs> prices. And everybody in the room just looked at me and thought I was crazy. Right. So how'd you, how'd you convince them? I mean, because I'm, I'm with them. I mean, somebody walks in the office and says, hey, I got a great idea to grow revenue. We're going to cut our prices by 30% you know, or whatever he, the number is. Sure. I'd be like, what? <laughs> and I've experienced this other places too. You know. When you when you own a team and it's your business or right. you know right. that it's almost like your child right right and you can't just go into somebody and say your child's ugly right yeah have you been listening to this podcast because I say that like every other week oh no no do you <laughs> really uh, yeah it's funny and what and what contents do you say that uh, I, yeah, well it's very similar where where nobody wants to be told they have an ugly baby and your business is like your baby and um, that's one of the reasons I don't tell people I mean like you know I own a business but I don't. I don't go around telling people I own a business. I tell people I'm the general manager or I work for a business because I want them to tell me the truth. And uh, people don't tell me the truth if, 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 well, you're the owner. Well, it's, you know, I can tell the nanny sh- that you have an ugly baby. I, I, I can tell the nanny that she's babysitting an ugly baby, but I can't tell the, the parent that they have an ugly baby. It's a different context. Yeah. And I probably said that on here 40 times. It's just funny that you say the exact same thing. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I just always said that just because I've experienced it everywhere right. I've gone. Right. So, um, and you've always have to, for me, it's just like, how do I present that with kid gloves and present it in the right way when right. not telling them that the baby's ugly? Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. So after, I'm guessing, a lengthy... And, and as an owner, if you are portraying yourself as an owner, you are getting that kind of messaging from people. Right. Everybody's telling you, oh, it's great. Love You're, it. Yeah. I'd even pay more money. I'd pay more it. money. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Everything's perfect. I, don't, yeah. I, I wish everybody would go. Yeah. It, it, it's all it's all lies and BS. And then I get <laughs> on the phone with them. It's a different story. Right. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
Um, I'm really glad to hear you say that, especially <laughs> especially if you haven't heard it here. That's really funny. So somehow you convinced them that this is the right path. I'm guessing that was a multi-leveled conversation or many conversations. I, I can't imagine that was a 10-minute cell that you walk in and tell them your miracle cure for raising revenues to drop prices. But um, you get them on board, and I'm guessing the idea, basic math, you had half the seats sold, let's say, for instance, and now you got 75% of the seats sold because you lowered the prices. That's kind of how it worked out, right? Where I see ourselves in the marketplace is that we are, I like to call it affordable family fun. Right. Um, as you know, like you were mentioning earlier, you went to the Seahawks game yesterday. Yeah. Um, it's not very affordable. No. <laughs> and especially if you're taking a family of four to a Seattle Seahawks game. Yeah. It's really not affordable. I, I got I to tell you the funny. So so I got I got I bought tickets from somebody who didn't mark up the tickets. I paid face value. And I think the tickets are like 150 bucks a piece or something like that. And I, I'm too cheap to park there. So I took the I took the train from not far from my house and I rode up. And so, you know, we're we're up there and, and I got the uh, a reasonably priced meal for only twenty dollars, you know, for for whatever. And a, a soda was six dollars and whatever. And it, it's just it's just you expect it now. So it's not it's not even shocking anymore. It's just uh, part of what you expect. But the people sitting in front of us about five seats down had brought what I would guess was probably a 12-year-old boy, and he had headphones on so he couldn't hear the noise, and he was reading a comic book the whole time. And I, I would just, my wife and I were talking about, how in the heck do you have enough money where you can bring somebody to a, a football game and pay 200 bucks probably for this kid to come who didn't watch a single play, could care less about what was going on, had headphones on so he wasn't disrupted by all the noise, and reading a comic book? I was like, what in the world? Yeah. <laughs> how is that possible? But, it is crazy. Um, Anyhow, yeah, I would not, I would not chalk that up as affordable. Uh, you know, uh, to go to a Seahawks game is probably two hundred bucks a person by the time you pay for parking and food yeah. and and the tickets and all that. Very kind of close stuff. to a thousand dollars on that. Yeah. What I've seen is most people are looking for that hundred dollar night out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I think there's accurate. a there's a big demographic that if I can take my family there and I can get in for under a hundred dollars or at a hundred dollars, right? I, I'm in. Yeah. That's yeah. That's our market. That's right. my demographic. That's yeah. who I'm trying to go after. So, and right. you know, you see, we, you know, we get all sorts of different, our fan base is not, you know, I see a lot of single parents. Right. Um, you know, that, uh, and I, I get that data just from our social media. Sure. Seeing single parents posting with their right. child. And, right. And so I know that that's evident. So we're. Um, so you're saying a family of four can go to Tacoma Stars game for a hundred bucks or less. Yep. Okay, that's good. That's good. I, I, I think that's fantastic to have those opportunities available because they are they are getting more and more scarce. Yeah. Um, I'm also guessing that your industry in particular is kind of tied to how the overall overall economy is. So when things are down, I'm guessing doing things like going to a sports you know uh, event on a weekend is probably one of the first things to go. Yeah. Um, how do, how do you guys kind of prepare for that, or or is you just you're hoping to build your brand now so that it carries you through that kind of time? Well, it's really evident when I worked for the um, events live. Um, we had a, a sponsorship and marketing management company that was basically in Las Vegas, and in Fort or uh, Hollywood, Florida, and um, so our management we had management agreements with both of um, we couple of different properties and a couple of different events that we did in Las Vegas when the, that hit in 2007, right. Um, you know, Las Vegas was a ghost town. Sure. We lost all our contracts, lost our contract with the Seminole Indian tribe of Florida. Um, so that, that definitely made an impact. Right. Um, where people, yeah. Uh, and, and so the Las Vegas scenario was more of the corporate as well. Right. So, yeah, Las Vegas was, you know, and, and Phoenix and places like that where you can just build for miles and miles and miles in any direction and not have any kind of yeah. natural barriers. Uh, yeah, that, that they were hit the worst. So, yeah, um, yeah that that uh, um, that probably wasn't very fun in, the, in that town. Anywhere. No, I mean, we lo- <laughs> it truly ended the business at yeah. that time. I mean, just there was not nothing out. And then you, you know, it did, you know, obviously it's regenerated and it's back to normal where it was before. Right. Just uh, in time for the next recession. Yeah. <laughs> So um, one of the things you talked about when we were uh, chatting back and forth over the last couple of weeks, and first of all, thank you for rescheduling because the power outage, uh, you were the guy that was supposed to come on and, and uh, we had to reschedule it because there was no power at the studio I was renting. So 
Uh, thanks for being so flexible. I really appreciate that. No problem, Ryan. Um, but one of the things you mentioned was um, a big help for you in your career has been mentors. Why don't you talk to us about that uh, and what that's been for you? Yeah, a um, couple different places. Uh, one was in Anaheim, California, mm -hmm. when I was the um, assistant general manager of the um, the Grove of Anaheim, which is a 1,500-seat theater next to Angel Stadium, mm -hmm. where the now Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim play. Um, I had booked a concert, or it was, yeah, it was a concert with an act that I was unfamiliar with, but they were willing to pay um, pretty high rates, or right. they paid my rack rate. So the way the way it works for music and, and performers is they rent the studio, or they rent the, uh, the the venue, the theater, and then they get all, all the money, or they get a piece of it, or they still split it? How does it work? Uh, typically, that was one case scenario. We did we did a lot of rentals and on corporate events. You, you, that's the same. That's the model. Right. Uh, for concerts, usually we would purchase the act. Okay. So uh, like when Madison Square Garden has Pearl Jam in or whatever, they're paying the, 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 the act to come in, the and then they, there's a revenue share of some sort worked out. Yeah. Smaller acts who are less known rent the venue, and they get all the ticket proceeds then? Yeah. Is that, okay, gotcha. So your major acts, and there's usually a guarantee. Right. That's the way the industry works now. There's a guarantee, so and it's usually based on tickets, um, ticket prices and the capacity of the venue that it's right. in. Mm -hmm. So ours, since we were a 1,500-seat venue, though the ticket prices are a little more expensive, um, we would get acts for fifty thousand dollars. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Willie Nelson comes to my mind. Sure. So you had this act that you didn't know very well. They came and they they paid you a premium price to rent the the venue. Premium price to rent it, um, and then realizing that it was a uh, the act was from North Korea. Okay. Then we get a uh, um, I get a phone call from the Anaheim Police Department, telling me that, you know. We know that there's going to be protesters there. Okay. Which turned out to be 2,500 people. Wow. Around my venue, which was right inside the parking lot of Angel Stadium in Anaheim. So there was plenty of room for these people. <laughs> right. And long story short, I got a bill from the city of Anaheim for the 100 police officers. Oh, my goodness. That they, you know, employed for five to six hours. Right. And um, they had mounted police, right. and horses. Yeah, uh, the whole crowd control scenario. Sure. And the nice thing, yeah. So the mentors was just getting to know people in the industry that have the insight that you may not. Right. Um, I remember getting the bill and I calling my mentor at that time, and he just said, um, "You don't need to pay that." Really? Yeah. He goes. They're here to protect and serve. Right. Did you cause that problem? You right. Know, things like that. So, um, which, you know, was just kind of against my beliefs. You know, if somebody invoices something and you did something, you pay it. Right. Um, but legally, they had no right to do that. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I'm surprised to hear that. I would I would have thought that they would have pursued that vigorously to get to get paid for that. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I'm glad to hear it. I'm, I'm glad that, that, that there's, you know, not a... Uh, onus upon people who do things that are unpopular or might cause somebody to get their feelings hurt to have to pay for the protection to, to have the, the right to do that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. I would have been like, oh, well, I guess I'm writing a check for 100 grand or whatever this was. Kind of <laughs> maybe I did cause this. You know, you start going through yeah. your head. But, yeah, you uh, second guess I yourself. Did, I didn't sure. tell the people to show up. And right. They did all that on their own. So, right, 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 yeah. right. So a mentor bailed you out there uh, for sure. Yeah. So he was a club owner. He owned some different clubs in the Anaheim area. And, um, because we had started doing some nightly, you know, some weekly nightclubs and um, some other events. So he was um, involved in some of that. So we got to be good friends. Right. Good. Um, another thing that's kind of prevalent in your in your history is being creative with new re new revenue streams. So in one place, you created a gold circle with uh, VIP seating. Another time, you added a nightclub, a nightclub and some religious services to, to help the venue out. Um, and then we, we talked about partnering with leading brands and all that kind of stuff. But how did you come up with some of these ideas? Like the like the gold circle, I guess, now is kind of every sports team, every venue has that. But I'm guessing it wasn't that way when you no. when you started this. So it was just emerging. How did how did you get the idea, grab the idea, form the idea, implement the idea? I mean, how did all that happen? You know, um, 
the, there was a particular area in the theater that uh, it was a five-tiered theater. So there was these tiers, and it would gradually rise up. So it was great seating, great viewing um, from any seat in the house. But the bottom tier, the tier one, um, we were uh, quasi a, um, a dinner theater as well. Right. So on levels two and three was a full-service dinner um, so there was table seating, and, and then the rest of the venue was just single seats. Right. Um, we had also we had that in the first tier, and it was but it was much smaller, and it was harder to get the tables in there, and there wasn't really room for capacity. So I ended up taking the seats out of that, or right. mean the tables out of that, and adding in more seats. Gotcha. So this created a little more capacity. Sure. We also had a room, a kind of a VIP room that was. Um, put together and so what i did is i added on a an amount to those tickets that actually got you into the vip room as as well mm-hmm. and what we would do is we would have the acts that played willie nelson right example would come in and make a little appearance oh, nice. and stop by and Very stuff cool. like that yeah and you know it was just it was a place where you it, to, to relax and it was just kind of a vip yeah setting so that was huge, and now yeah, now you see it everywhere. Right. But it was it was just kind of coming up where, you know, the industry obviously was just looking for additional revenue streams. Sure, of course. And we were too, you know. Right. And I I just saw that as an opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a great idea. So um, you mentioned the the North Korean protesters. Um, that mm-hmm. wasn't so fun. Um, that was a long day. Yeah. You had the the IT folks drop a big bomb in your lap and, and bail on you. That wasn't so fun. Yeah. A um, couple other things you've you've mentioned that uh, didn't go so well. One of the things that, that I think is applicable for all kinds of businesses is um, not identifying the right markets to pursue for for your you know picking the wrong group that you think is going to be a good client for you. And you invested a lot of time in in, in a particular group or groups that did, just didn't pan out. Tell us about that a little bit. You know, it, it happens a lot, especially where, you know, the situation that we are in where people don't know you as well as the Seahawks or the Sounders or the Mariners. Um, but just devoting time. I mean, I think everybody, all of us struggle with that a little bit. Um, and I know that some of the teams that um, that are on our same level, like Tacoma Defiance and, you know, the Rainiers and Seattle Rain and, you know, there's, I would say, the Seattle um, sea wolves that are a rugby team. Uh-huh. Um, all experiences. I've talked to all of them and we all kind of get into this, but for example, we spend time with like a certain school or a PTA group or some organization. Right. And, you know, bring out the players, get everybody excited about ticket sales. You know, you do all this groundwork to right. create excitement and to help generate revenue and, right. um, nobody comes. And it flops. Yeah. Right. And so I haven't really figured out a way to, to identify those. You just, you know, just by experience, you try to just go after the ones you think might work. And Yeah, I think it's one of those things where if it was easy, everybody would do it. And then it would be hard again because everybody's already exploited that market. So you kind of have to just keep keep trying and keep keep refocusing and keep trying. And, and uh, um, you know, let, I guess setting the expectation that not everything's going to be a home run. Not everything's even going to be a double. Uh, some things are going to be a complete waste of time. Yeah. Uh, but you don't know until you try, and you're only that if you do it three times, and you're then you're only and you have three flops, then you're that much more prepared for the fourth time, and maybe the fourth one is the home run. Yeah. And all you can do is regroup and retry, and regroup and retry, and that uh, I think that's kind of how marketing is in general, is just uh, that continual regroup and retry and and see what happens. Because mm-hmm. again, if it was easy and easy to figure out. Um, people smarter than me would have figured it out by now. Well, there's just so many different variables right? for the school thing. I mean, there was other events that were going on there that we weren't aware of. Sure. So you're competing against things you don't even know you're competing against, right? So how do you know that? And, so. and I, think, I think that's the case for all of us every day. I mean, uh, if you're selling new roofs, you're competing against things that you don't know about that are going on. And it's just, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's, I, I think that's pretty universal. What your competitors are offering too, do you find that as... A choke point as well? Um, no, no. I mean, I, again, our industry is is like emergency service for the most part, and our industry we've we've kind of found our niche again by trial and error and trial and error and mm-hmm. trial and error, and boom, we found our niche, and now we've completely exploited our niche. 
And we don't have much competition because we have a niche that we fill that nobody else wants or has paid attention to, and we've completely exploited that. And so now we're so entrenched that even if we did get a competitor coming in, you know, they they would they got a they got a tough road ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we we wouldn't have known if we wouldn't have tried. We just said, well, hey, we'll try this and see what happens. And what do you know? That's ninety percent of our or eighty percent of our revenue now is this one niche we found. So. Um, on the emergency side? No, it's just it's targeting specific kinds of customers. There's specific types of customers that we now target that that others had just ignored. Frankly, everybody wants to be getting the, you know, like in the Seattle Tacoma area, everybody wants to get the 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 customer in Medina, <laughs> you know, because they got uh, a lot of money. So everybody spends a ton of money marketing there. Well, we we don't pay attention to Medina. We got other things to worry about, um, and that that's okay. I mean, it's it's again, we wouldn't have known if we wouldn't have tried. Is my point. So. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at it as I'm doing 12 events a year. Right. You know, we have 12 games and there are 12 events and 12 experiences. So, you know, dates are a big p- part of that. I mean, yeah. just having the right dates. And, and I do have issues with competitors because they are offering, you know, they're offering better pricing. Yep. And so you cheap, get that. Cheap, cheaper pricing, not better pricing, cheaper pricing, right? There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, so, the, but the, we have competitors, and they're offering these things that you're not aware of until it's too late, or or unless you're on their website checking out what they're doing and things like that. Or you'll hear about it from the customer. Gotcha. The customer says, "Well, your competitors offering me this deal, right? You know, the four tickets and four hot dogs for forty four dollars, or something like that. Right, I right, mean, right, right. Where I can't compete, and yeah. um, some of the venues or other teams have control their own food and beverage, and we don't. Yeah. So, and I think that's that's uh, I think it's a it creates a dangerous situation for folks to begin chasing those things. Somebody's always going to be having a better quote unquote deal. Somebody's for sure always going to have a, a cheaper price. Uh, I think it I think it can kind of get us spinning our wheels if we're chasing those things. Oh, they're offering forty four dollar hot dogs and, t- and tickets, so now I better offer thirty four dollar. Well, okay, then as soon as you do that, somebody else is going to come to you from a completely different experience, a completely different place, and say, "Well, I just got this thing for." Twenty-seven dollars, and and pretty soon you're, you're you're chasing these things instead of really focusing on what your business is. And yeah. I think you get out of, out of whack. Yeah. Um, what do you do when you have more people show up than you want? So we talked about what what happens when you don't have enough. You don't. You're always looking for more. What happens when you, your your arena holds ten thousand and fourteen thousand show up? I mean, what, what what do you do? Well, I've never had that problem, um, but I have had problems where like certain groups. Where, for example, last year. Um, there's a minor indoor soccer league that is in Washington state called the Western indoor soccer league. There's teams in Bellingham and, um, Bremerton, um, Olympia, a couple teams in Tacoma. So we had the two teams in Tacoma play each other before one of our games. Mm-hmm. There are one of the teams is the Tacoma stars reserve team. Right. Uh, the other team was Tacoma narrows football club. And when I originally met with them, they were very, I asked them if they could sell 100 tickets each. They felt that they were going to have a huge problem with that. So what I did was I said, look, I'm going to just give you vouchers, and these people can come to any game, so you can sell your 100 tickets, you can meet your quota, and which will allow us to put on the event. You can have your game before our game. Right. They sell their 100 tickets. Well, what happened is they told all their friends and family, and they all show up. <laughs> so there was an extra 400 people that showed up. Right. So we were completely unprepared, not only for staffing. Right. I didn't have any staff available um, for ticketing, for the ticket sales. Right. Um, they brought those vouchers in, so we had to exchange the voucher for a ticket. <laughs> so now I've doubled my ticket line. Right. Which, you know, I have a picture of it. This ticket line wrapped around <laughs> half of the show where Sanders oh, And it was just... Yeah, just one of those long days. Right, 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 right. Um, but, you know, we're able to get everybody in and, and make it work. But those are just lessons learned. So we already started talking about doing it this year. We'll already have the reserve seat set right. aside for them, which will cut perfect. Yeah. Cut down the operational flow yeah. um, and cut down the lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think I think lines is like the got to be in the top five complaints of people who are going to sporting events. It's a line in the bathroom. It's a line to get out of water. It's a line to get in. It's a line to get out. It's a line to get through security. It's yeah. It's and then when you pride yourself like me and not having those lines yeah. and having a really good operational flow and the experience is really good, right? And then to to have something like that happen, sure. it's just you know, 
Yeah, you know, things happen. What are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. Uh, you also, you also <laughs> you learn. You learn. You learn. You know, yeah, you learn. Kinda, yeah, you, exactly what you're doing. You, you learn and you adapt and you prefer, prepare for next time. You know, I've, I've probably have gotten most of my experiences from things like that. Right. Because even the, the even some staff members that I have now will be like, well, why are you worried about that? It's like, you have an experience. Yeah. But Here's why. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 2,500 people are going to come and protest North Korea. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yelling and, you know, li- this is terrible and da, 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 and people in line and, yeah, you're, yeah. and, and you're trying to uh, make good on I, all of it. Do you it. serve alcohol at your events? Yes. Yeah. So then you throw that that amplifier in and then <laughs> you get a whole new Well, they're outside. They want to get their alcohol. They, uh, yeah. Yeah. They're upset that uh, it's not available to them. <laughs> yeah. that's it, it cracks me up now to walk around these events and see the alcohol enforcement people everywhere. I, I, I can't imagine a less desirable job than that. <laughs> Who wants to deal with those people? Yeah. But, um, one other thing I'll, I'll just bring up quickly. You had a business partner who kind of decided to retire on you, it sounds like, right? And just and moved to Hawaii and kind of lost interest in what was going on for you. Yeah, yeah. That was in the event live days, a business partner. And um, his wife decided they wanted to move to a fruit farm on the big island in Hawaii. Nice. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Yeah. So at that point, I was living in Las Vegas. He was living in Florida. Um, he moved to f- to Hawaii and said that he would retain the Las Vegas since it was a lot closer than mm-hmm. from Florida to Hawaii. It's, right. It's Las Vegas to Hawaii. I moved to Florida and um, basically through that process that we lost all our Vegas events prior to even the economy shutting down just because he wasn't able to. Yeah. Lost interest. I, in that. Yeah. Uh, this is something that's been this come up a few times on here is folks who, who achieve whatever level of success that they feel um, allows them to move or operate remotely, and I've yet to meet somebody that works successfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a big. You you need to be in your market. Right. Yeah. You got to be there. You got you got to be able. To, you know, when the when the the uh, example you had of the hundred people showing up who or, or the hundred tickets that had been turned into four hundred tickets and things like that, you have to be able to there, there to handle that kind of stuff. You're not gonna be able to walk somebody through that over the phone. You're yeah. not gonna be able to understand the and empathize with the situation. You're gonna either diminish it or uh, embellish it. One of the two. Sure. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty critical that uh, you stay tuned in and, and stay on site. Um, Tony, uh, thanks a lot for coming in. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Tacoma Stars and, and the schedule? So you got in November is when the season kicks off, right? Yeah. So our first home game this year is no, uh, November 30th uh, against the San Diego Soccer's, gotcha. and yeah, and which is one of our biggest rivals. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, and our schedule should be out here. The rest of the schedule should be out here in the next couple of weeks. So cool. that's where we're at. We're, you know, 80 days out. So I'm in total event mode here. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And getting ready for the grind. Gotcha. So I got three questions for you. Um, and I, with each, with, with each of these, just give me your, your gut reaction. Give me a, a 15 second or less answer. Mm. Uh, what would you tell a new entrepreneur to spend most of their energy on? Um, Good question. Um, sales. Sales. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've had, uh, I've had, um, and, and, uh, I, and I'll say that just because my experience has been that I think everybody kind of overlooks that. And that's usually, right. for example, um, in Anaheim, um, prior to that becoming the Grove of Anaheim, it was a, it was a venue called Tinseltown Studios. Uh-huh. It was a theme dinner attraction, um, you know, a mile away from Disneyland that, um, you would go there and you would, it was like going to an Oscar show. So there was a red carpet. We had our wait staff come out and they were like paparazzi and asking for your autograph. And then we superimposed people onto um, some movie clips that we had, mm-hmm. which was the green screen technology, which was brand new at that time. Right. Um, and it was developed by these Disney marketing people. Uh-huh. Literally everything was in the, before it opened was so focused on the development of the product, um, the, um, and nothing, yeah. And the, and the show itself and just all the operational stuff. And then once they opened, they realized they had a n- no marketing right, and no sales. Right. And it failed in nine months. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've, I've told folks, uh, um, when you're starting out, especially, but even through the first several years, 50% of your effort needs to be on prospecting and sales. Yeah. 50% easily. Uh, next question. Why do you think 80% of all businesses fail in the first two years? Well, I've heard <laughs> reasons like that. Yeah. Probably because they're not doing sales. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there's, there's a million reasons. And with a sales background, I, I'm not surprised that uh, you would you would chuck a lot of that. So that. is that an actual eighty uh, percent? Yeah. That? Yeah. It depends on who you listen to. That that's a pretty commonly thrown out statistic, though. Is and I remember when we started out, everybody said, you know, eighty percent failed in the first two years, and we hit two years in a month, and they were like, well, it's really eighty percent in five years, and then we hit five years, and they're like, well, yeah, but. They had, of the 20% who make it in the first five years, 80% sell or, or, or go out of business in the second five years. And then I started getting kind of smart. And I was like, well, wait a second. Just because they close the doors or, or they, the ownership changes doesn't mean that they went out of business. Mm. It could be that 80% sell in the second five years. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that's possible. So it's one of those things that... Or you could just be that 20% yeah, on day it, one. It, yeah, it depends on who you're listening yeah. to, of course. Um, and last question. What's the number one thing, looking back on your whole career... What's the number one thing you wish you had a second crack at? Mm. Mm. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I can't even think of an answer for that. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's all yeah. right. It, and that's one of those things where I, I kind of just, you know, spur of the moment drop that on you to see if there's yeah. anything that kind of really came out. But, you know... Over you've you've had a lot of fun in different things, so you got a lot of things to pull from. That, that had a lot of, of ups don't. and downs. You know, there's been a lot of success, but uh, a lot of failure as well. And like I said, that's where I've learned most sure. of my stuff is through the failure. Um, but nothing that really is popping out at me. Um, you know, I wish the event live stuff would have continued on. Yeah. Um, but due to the partner and yeah. going to Y and and the economy just dropping out, um, those were just things. Um, but that, I thought that we were doing really well and doing some great work yeah. there and had some great, great uh, clients. Right. And, yeah. it's, and again, it sounds like a lot, it was a lot of fun. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure that was. So You know, promoting concerts and, uh, you know, a lot of hard work, but it is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks again for coming in, Tony. I really appreciate it. Uh, you shared some great information with us. That was that was awesome. Uh, next week, we're going to have An Angie Witten from Harmony Photography and Angie Guy from Angie D Photography. They're both in the photography business. They do very similar things. Um, they're going to come in and talk about their experiences in that. Uh, thanks again, Tony. Really yeah. appreciate it. Don't forget to check out TacomaStars.com. And uh, that's it for now. We'll talk to you all next week.